Hello, everybody. I'm here with uh, Rena, and she is an amazing lady. And I'm not just saying that. Her bio is amazing. Um, why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, I am a mom of four kids, 13 and under. I am the host of the Better Call Daddy show. I'm a community builder and a podcast producer. Okay. Um, why don't you talk about how did you get into podcasting? Yeah, so that is has been a very roundabout story. I started off my career in the talk show industry straight out of college. I ended up I ended up in, uh, interning for the Jerry Springer show. And that is really <laughs> where my love of casting began. And so (laughs) I know I feel like I always need to leave a pause there because there's always quite a strong reaction when I tell people Uh, that I worked there. I, I, I have a question. Are you, I can imagine what you're going to ask, but go. Okay. First of all, my first question, are you under any NDAs from back in the day? Yeah. You know, I did sign like, a huge NDA. I don't know if that expires when the show ends. I've heard stories that Jerry Springer was actually a nice man. Well, that I feel like is an okay, safe question to answer. Yeah. I feel like he was as well. I was so young. I mean, like I said, it was my first job out of college. And so I was kind of intimidated by him. You know, I feel like, I watched him on TV and then Mm. ended up, you know, backstage pitching him the stories before they went out there. And as a 21 year old, that can be intimidating. I remember, um, I, I remember being exposed to the Jerry Springer show in college in my dorm. And I remember coming in from work. Um, and literally they would all be, sitting around different televisions watching Jerry Springer. Yeah. You know, what's so crazy now is that I worked there during nine 11 and thinking about that now is really crazy. Um, They filmed that in Chicago, right? Yeah. It was filmed out of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I remember on nine 11 too, like, they were barricading all of downtown. Like they thought that Chicago might get hit too. So we had guests Mm. in town. We had guests in town, like midgets in town. That's probably not even the thing to say anymore, but little (laughs) people in town that had no way of getting back home. And I remember too, even weeks after it happened, like we were scrambling Mm. to get guests in and, and get the show back going. And so we were bringing people in on buses and trains and limoing people from their houses, like any means of trying to get people to the show. Yeah. That was so crazy. So I think, I, well, I told you off air that this, this podcast, the reason I still call it the history of Voyager is because I feel like it's the history of now, like the history of our, of our time. I, I'm essentially doing an oral history cleverly disguised as a podcast. And I love talking to people about their 9-11 stories um, on my show. Interesting. That's so crazy that I brought that up. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, without guessing your age, um, I'd say that we're roughly around the same age. Yeah, I was guessing that, too, because if you were yeah. watching it during college, I ended up there right after college. Mm-hmm. So I was mm-hmm. watching it in high school and college, too. <laughs> so you're we're roughly around the same age. So, I mean... We both have nine eleven stories. Mine, I wouldn't say it's typical, but it's 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 not boring. Mine is not boring, but it's not the most interesting nine eleven story I've ever heard on even on my own show. Um, so, okay, I think we should say first of all, there was a whole period of time where you couldn't fly. Like after nine eleven, there was a whole period of time where you couldn't fly. And that hence all the buses and limos and all that, right? 
Yeah. And what's so yeah. crazy is like, I found out from a Jerry Springer guest, I thought they were just backing out like they normally do. And then I was going to have to talk them into coming. And I was like, okay, yeah, right. And you know, they're like a plane, all the planes are grounded. I'm like, yeah, right. I was like, that's a good one. That's one I haven't heard before. You know, um, And <laughs> so I literally found out that happened because they went to the airport and couldn't get on their plane. Um, you know, the night before um, they come into town, you're on call. Like I worked there when beepers were a thing and like the mm-hmm. associate producers are up the entire night before, like making sure that all the guests get on the plane. We're like their alarm clock. So I was calling to check in with everybody, making sure their limos picked them up, making sure they were going to the airport. And one of the guests is like, I can't get on a plane. I'm like, okay. <laughs> They're like, turn on the news. So I actually um, was headed into the office, like couldn't get into NBC Tower, like met up with a couple other associate producers, ended up going over to their house. And then we got a bunch of munchies from like a corner store and I ended up crashing there and watching the second crash happen from their place. And it was just like so surreal. Like I didn't even realize like the severity of what was happening. I'm like 21 years Mm -hmm. old, like completely Mm -hmm. self-absorbed, you know, like... (laughs) wondering if I have to be at work later that day or the next day, or, you know, if the show is going to go on like that was, I feel bad even saying that, but that was my world at the time. Yeah. I think I was about 23. I'm not sure, but, um, okay. Let me, let's back up because even though you're like, your podcast is way bigger than mine. All right. Um, I do have an an international audience who might be a little light on the time zones in America. So the the 911 essentially happened at nine, at 8 something in the morning right like 8 Yeah it was it was very early in the morning and I forgot okay. what time the second plane hit but well, I, I I saw it live on television Yeah me too that was I'm, insane yeah. to witness I, like I, Yeah on I'm a screen watching. now I feel like you can watch terrorism happen all the time and crime happen all the time. Like we're living in such a different generation now. Like hate is everywhere. I I agree with you, but (laughs) I've watched it live on TV. There's actually, and I'm going to throw this into the universe. There's actually uh, two or three ladies. They're ladies now. They're not girls. Um, They're about my age, about our age. That somebody put this on YouTube. One of the three of them put it on YouTube. They lived in a college dorm across the river from the Twin Towers. And they put that on YouTube. Whoa. Right. And they were shooting with, um, oh, I forget what you call them, but the Canon, like these Canon prosumer cameras, these like handheld Canon prosumer cameras. Like a VX1000 or something. Oh, like a Canon uh, XL. Um, God, it's been so long. Like it shot to like mini DV tape or something. Exactly, it shot to. Mini I used DV. to have one of those too. I could tell. Like I, you, I used to work with those. I yeah. could literally tell. Like that's shot to mini DV tape. Okay, so I'm gonna throw this out in the universe. Um, I don't even know who you guys are or who you ladies are, but if you're hearing this episode, I really want you guys to come on my show. One of you, one or all of you, to come on my show. Uh, whatever combination is currently alive, because I'd love to talk to any of you. I bet you could reach them. I, that's literally what I'm trying to do right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but because like you watch it, and it's literally like, first of all, I mean it's it's a mind trip because it's like you can literally see like the AOL CD. One of them, there's like an AOL CD in the shot. You know, like one of the shots. And like, it's just so late nineties, but yeah, I mean, I worked there before yeah. I had a cell phone. I had a beeper where I was an intern for yeah. the show. And as an intern, you take the guests around Chicago to like Navy pier or a different diner or house of blues. Mm-hmm. It was my job to entertain the guests the day before mm-hmm. the show. And I remember getting beeped and I had petty cash and I took some of the guests like, on a boat 
in the middle of Lake Michigan. I had no way to tell them I was on a boat in the middle of Lake Michigan. When I got the guests back to the office, I got major <laughs> reaming from the producer. Like, we couldn't reach you. Where were you? You're not supposed to hop on boats. I thought for sure I was going to be gone, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you weren't. You, I mean, I saw your bio. You you survived, you know? Yes. You, you I kept did on survive. going. And I ended up working for one of the most feared producers in the office and learned from him. And wow, what an experience working there. Not only did I learn how to find a good story, find a good guest, create relationships, but I got to go to Jamaica. I got to learn my way around Chicago. I learned how to talk people into doing crazy things on national television. Yeah. So this is still, you're still working for the Jerry Springer show at this point. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. So yeah, a part of me, I was just talking about this tonight, but a part of me was like addicted to that world. Like I, I gotta, can I be honest with you? I, I, I saw the show, but I, I was not one of these people that liked it. Like <laughs> I, I knew it existed and like I knew I was, I knew I was aware of it and I would roll into the dorm room and watch these guys watch it and be like, okay, that is fake. Like that right there has to be fake. It's funny. Cause I can still turn it on and be like, oh, that wasn't a good guest or that was a good guest. And okay. yeah, I can tell the ones that are just like fishing for things to say, you know, like, how could you yeah. do this to me? Like that obviously is not the reaction you're hoping for. <laughs> is it still on the air? I don't know. I think, I mean, obviously it's on YouTube, but I'm not sure yeah. if reruns are still happening. Now he has a court TV show. Okay. Didn't know that. Didn't know that. I know. I was like, <laughs> if, if one smut TV show wasn't enough, now he has another one. You know? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I mean, can I, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If you could go back to, to the, those people at the Jerry Springer show, and I guess, cause you moved on from that, right? Like you moved on to another TV show from that. Right? Yes. I moved to LA after that. Okay. Okay. So if you could go back to those, that television experience, and be like, hey, you know, the internet, okay, what the what the kids are playing with, you know, that's going to take off, right? What do you think? What do you think they would say to that? Like, well, you know what's then? interesting? I left right as the internet started to happen. So I left when they were starting yeah. to get email leads for the show, and no one was taking those leads seriously. They're like, who's going to email the show? Like they were getting all of their leads from one eight hundred nine six Jerry. So when I was, yeah, now I'm sure the entire, all of casting, it happens online now. And it's funny because one of my other jobs, I got a job working for Judge Alex as a stringer, like a researcher for that court TV show. And mm -hmm. I got that off of Craigslist, like in the TV section, like they were looking for a researcher. I was living in Kentucky. We had moved from California to Kentucky. My husband was moving up the corporate ladder and found a job back in my hometown. And I applied through Craigslist connected with some producer that was out in LA. She hired me. I ended up working on judge Alex for four seasons, which then led to divorce court and hot bench and working in court TV for five seasons, six seasons. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, I guess so. Um, what's your main takeaway from like all? Oh, this so yeah, you kind of asked me like if I could go back and like. Yeah. What's What's interesting is I feel like my podcast that I created, the Better Call Daddy Show, is a bit of me wanting to go back to that period of my life. Like I love those controversial topics and guests, mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm sort of reliving that now by creating my own show and finding my own stories. And, you know, my dad lived with me through that experience and now he's getting to weigh in on his thoughts on some of those subject matters. Yeah. So instead oh. of Jerry doing the final thought, my dad's doing it. 
So what, I mean, like, give me an example of stuff on your show. Like, just give me an example. Yeah, so I just interviewed my my most recent episode. I think I called it Pulling the Curtain Back on the Stripper World and the Business of Podcasting. So I interviewed a lady who her parents said, you want to go be crazy? Have at it. Get out, you know? And she became a stripper pretty much right after she became a mother. And she worked in the adult inter- uh, the adult entertainment industry for 23 years. And she talks about what that's like as mother. So that was a controversial story. What else is interesting, though, is now she has three podcasts and she helps other podcasters and she hosts a Twitter space, you know, mm. giving other podcasters advice. And she's excellent at coming up with a commercial for your show and talking about structure and teasers and openers. And uh, yeah, she's really figured out the podcasting space, which I think is so interesting and cool. And I had another guy on, he was a sperm donor to 25 children. That was a controversial topic and something interesting to talk to my dad about. And then I had a a real life 40 year old virgin on, I had another chick who knocked out her two front teeth and she talked about what that did to her confidence level. (laughs) So it's been a wide yeah. range of guests, but at the same time, I've also had on James Altucher, who's you know a huge entrepreneur, podcaster, hero of mine, somebody that I stalked on Instagram. And since I have a podcast and a platform to talk to him, after enough research, he agreed to come on. That's like I love this medium. I, I love interacting with people. Um, I had a podcast. Um, the, my most recent one was a business owner in Alaska, right? The most recent one I put out. And what I like about this is people, you know, I love talking to average people. Like I, like I told you online or off, off air, I love talking to average people because I, I feel like we're all going through something. You know, there's a technological revolution and people are, are trying to figure out like how to fit into that. And like I told you off air, like in my first, like, I guess, incarnation of the show, I was like a a history deep dive into the Spanish flu and and later into COVID. But I, I realized that the real interesting stuff happened while the show was downloading because people would tell me about their life. And I realized like that needs to be this needs to be what the show is because so I think of this as like this oral history project, right? That I'm going to donate to some museum sometime, someday. I but love I'm, that. <laughs> you know, seriously. My you daughter, know. actually, I was creating sound bites for season three last night and I am including yeah. my children in it. And my daughter said that my show is creating a legacy one call at a time. And I really loved that she got that at 11 years old. What do you love about being a podcaster? Well, honestly, I love kind of what you said, how one story leads to another by the stories that you release. Other people contact you and they're like, Hey, I listened to this episode, this is my story. I love when that happens, when somebody actually listens to a story that you told and then they connect to that and then they tell you something that's going on in their life that I love. But truthfully, what I love even more than that is that I get special time with my dad because Mm. you just never know when you're not going to have that person around anymore. And Mm. yeah, I, I feel like I'm having conversations with my dad that my kids may not appreciate now, but they'll definitely appreciate that I encapsulate it later. So let me ask you a question. So your, your basic format of the show is what exactly? Like the basic format of your show. The basic format of my show is that I interview a guest. I cut that down into an edited segment. I send it to my dad. Then I send him a link to a Zoom and he and I then discuss that guest or the question that they've asked my dad and me and my dad have like a banter at the end of every episode. Wow. Okay. Um, and you told, 
I think I saw either on Facebook or someone what your audience for this is. Would you mind telling telling us yeah, what, what has been an added benefit and something that I couldn't have honestly predicted is that, you know, I've had a lot of daddy's girls reach out to me, people who love their dad or wish they had the relationship that I have with my dad. I've had guys who have either daddy drama or inspirational fathers. So I've just had a lot of like daddy stories come my way, which is interesting. And then outside of that, I feel like I've been a bridge in the Jewish community. So Mm. I've had people say, oh, you know, you're the first Jew that I've connected with in a while, you know, Mm. you know, I've, I've had people that are Hasidic. I've had people that are gay and Jewish. I've had people from all different parts of the Jewish spectrum connect with me and share their stories. I had a guy that converted to Judaism and he was born a Muslim. Like, so those are two Mm. byproducts of the show that I wouldn't have known going in. Hmm. And have so, now become part of the message. Yeah. So let me. I, I alluded to this, I think, in in my last podcast, but I said that being a podcaster changed me. So how did being a podcaster change you? Ah, oh, that's such a great question. When I initially started the podcast. I wanted to get better at interviewing. I wanted to get better at marketing. I wanted to get better at storytelling. And I was hoping that it would lead to some business. And I feel like I accomplished all of those things. I was able to secure a sponsor and learn about how that worked. I was able to book guests that I very much admired. I've connected with with people who fulfill that story junkie in me. And I got enough business that it covered my costs and I got more clients than I had ever had. So if I could replicate that this year, I would be very happy. Hmm. Did you learn anything? um, Maybe some deeper truth about society or something or some deeper truth about your relationships with your family and friends? Ooh, that's a great question. Well, one thing I learned was I can't share everything because You know, if you share about people who don't want their story shared, even if it's your own truth, you can hurt people. And that's definitely not my aim. So I have taken down one episode and I have not aired a few episodes because there have been people that have overshared and then not wanted me to air it. And, you know, my goal in creating a podcast is not to ruin people's lives. It's really to create relationships. So. That's that's a big lesson that I have learned. Yeah. I have all these um I don't know what you want to call it. Like I call them cyber relationships or whatever, but all these, you know, virtual the, virtual relationships with people all over the place now. And I just think about the person that I used to be before all this and like there's things that I, you know, I just know so, I know so much more about our society now than I than I did when I started. I'll say that, and some of it's good and some of it's bad. But <laughs> you know, I can't tell you that I had a flat earther on who contacted me, and I was like, sure, this guy has got an interesting focus, right? <laughs> but after having him on, he really asked me some questions that made me think deeper about things. He was like, do you know what's in the vaccine? And then I was like, do I know what's in any of the vaccines that I've taken? And like that Mm. conversation that I had with him actually made me start doing more research. So I thought that that was interesting. And then I, you know, have interviewed people that are part of this freedom movement you know, that are considered anti-vaxxers. But I think what's, that it's really important to I don't know what that listen is. to both sides. And and by connecting with those people, it definitely made me question things. What's the freedom movement? I, I don't know what that is. 
the freedom movement um, are a group of people that don't believe in the vaccine mandate. Hmm. And they're actively campaigning against it. You know, I've talked to a few anti-vaxxers and people that might not be anti-vaxxers, but they're um, vaccine hesitant, you know, and I'll say this. I had a a guest on my podcast, a, a tech journalist that I used to read as a kid. On oh, my cool. Show. Honestly, like of my top four podcasts that I've done, like that's one of my favorites. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 12, 12-year-old me is very happy about that. <laughs> That's reason yeah. enough for starting a show. Um, hey, listen, I, I, people have told me things like people say like, I had a lady tell me um, about what her life was like in Venezuela. I had, um, she lives in Barcelona now. I had, uh, let's see, I had a, a PhD person talk to me about the female gladiators of ancient rome that wow. was interesting uh that was fascinating tell you what um i learned about the philippines i learned about the war with the philippines from a from a fellow podcaster up, up in brooklyn I, you know something i never even heard of until i was a podcaster interviewing people um you know i i talked to a, a man who was wrongly put in a mental institution? Um, Whoa! By his own parents, actually. You know, think about that. For real. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> what did that uh, do to him? Um. I tell you what. Um. You. Uh, you you listen to it. I will. Yeah, you listen to it and judge for yourself. But hey, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of humans in this world. You know, there's all kinds of humans. I will say, though, the more people I interview, I just realize, like, how much struggle we're all going through. Exactly. But, oh, let me finish the thought, okay, about the Dana Blankenhorn. He told me how the vaccine was being developed with computers. And because of that, like, that's why I, okay, fine, it'll work. You know, the vaccine, it'll work. It'll be okay. Do you like talking to celebrities and famous people, or do you like talking to average people? You know, I truly prefer talking to average people. I connect to them more and I feel more comfortable interviewing them. Yeah. I have spoken to celebrities before and I do realize by having a mix of that on your show that you can get bigger numbers. And if it's someone who I very much admire or I like their story or I connect with them, then that's amazing. Like I'd love to interview Katie Couric. I've tried um, she did connect with me on Instagram. Maybe she'll hear this and want to. But yeah, the majority of the stories that I like to cover and even how Jerry Springer's show became a hit for so many years was everyday people, the diamond in the roughs, you know, the overcomers, the the outsiders. I like those stories more. One of the first, like one of the first... Um interviews I did of just like normal people, right? Was this young man out of Iowa who sells donuts out of a truck. Nice. Um, Shout out to Rob if you're listening. (laughs) But that's where I was like, this is, you know, that, that was another piece on the road to, this is the show. 
like these people trying to figure it out. You know? Yeah, I feel like the pandemic is definitely that. Mm-hmm. Like I was just talking to someone today that was like, you want to know about my pandemic pivot? I liked that verbiage <laughs> even. Like everyone has had to pivot. Everyone has had to think about their personal brand. Everybody has had to think about their values and what's important to them and what they want their day to look like and what they want their life to look like. Like there's so much reflection happening during this. Everybody has kind of had to think, well, I mean, I've talked to people that have said to me, mainly off air, but they said to me, like, uh, I just woke up yesterday and I realized I I can't do what I used to do. Like, I can't, it can't happen for reasons, you know, or, I mean, just, again, it was like one of those things where you just... This is what I should be catching. Not, you know, whatever. I think a lot of people feel that way. I mean, at one Mm. point during the pandemic, I had four kids at home. And now I'm having to think about whether I want to boost my kids or whether I want to vaccinate my younger kids. And, you know, there's some summer camps they can't even go to if they're not vaccinated. I, I can't go to certain restaurants. I can't take them to indoor play places. I can't go dine in a restaurant. I mean, this is just crazy. There's like a real divisiveness happening. Well, I mean, I get that. But then again, like, you know, I've had in my extended family, I've had illnesses even before COVID. So I, I know about vaccines. You know, I know vaccines work, you know like polio and scarlet fever and like that, you know? Yeah, those are hard. Yeah. And I mean, I have, I mean, I have friends that got COVID and it was bad. Like a couple of them was really bad. And, you know, so, I mean, I get that you don't want your kid to be a guinea pig. I understand that, but. I don't know. (laughs) It's rough. Yeah. It's rough. It's crazy that... I don't know. We have right now, I feel like, the choice, too. Like, never in history have we been able to, like, work from home like this or pivot our careers or create a personal brand, create, you know, like tech technology is like enabled us to be able to work from anywhere and even educate our kids anywhere, educate them online. We have so many options. Like we really do have a lot of choices. Like it's such an interesting time. And there's actually a, you just hit on something else though. Like there's a guy um, there's a man in New England, I forget where right now, but he has a hilarious show on YouTube, like a hilarious show with his family. Okay. You got my and, attention already because I'm into family shows. Oh, I'll, I'll, um, you know what? It's called the, okay. I'm, I'm going to promote it right here on this podcast. It's called the Dogs of Town Hall. <laughs> what a great name. It's, look, it's fun. When he showed it to me, like when he told me about it and I went and found it on YouTube, I was like, this is hysterical. Okay. Like this, it, it's a kid friendly show, but it's also like you could tell like a grown up made it. Like, a, you know what I'm saying? Nice. Like you could tell, like, like you could be like not a kid. And just crack up at this show. It's hysterical. But it's for it's like, you know, for kids. Okay, it's like safe enough for kids. But the thing the thing that occurred to me while I was watching it, his little girl is the star of the show. Like the breakout star is this child. That's awesome. Okay. For real. Okay, so here it is, right? I'm looking at this and I'm like, I'm like three episodes in or whatever. And I'm like, 
okay, I see a problem over the horizon, right? The problem I see is, like, you're some normal person that works in accounting or that answers the phone at the county or whatever, right? And you could have a gazillion, you could have 100,000 people or 10,000 people pass you by every single day, every single week, and, you know, nobody cares, right? But you're famous online, right? How do you handle that as a culture? Yeah. For real. I th- I think that some of these podcasters and YouTubers are having to face that. Like I was just at this bar mitzvah in Florida and Ben Shapiro recently moved to that community. And I just got into conversation with someone that was like, yeah, his kids are in my kid's class and he's a normal person, even though he has like all of this fame. But I'm sure people are constantly like wanting to talk to him about that and trying to like get in with him at school and (laughs) or at synagogue or whatever. I mean, but I guess not. That's a hard balance. So he moved from L.A., Ben Shapiro. Yep. Huh. I didn't know that. A lot of people have moved during the pandemic as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Out of like LA. I feel like a lot story. of people have moved out of LA. I feel like I feel like I have and I don't mean to denigrate these stories because they are interesting. But I feel like I have at least five or six stories about like me and my girlfriend decided to move from X to Y during the pandemic. Right? Like from like, dating to marriage or no, what's like the X from to Y? Point point a to point b oh okay like in in point a and point b were like different like it wasn't like they were going down the down the road like one exit down like it was like from la to virginia or from virginia to new york or from brooklyn to here you know i feel like there's a lot of those people i wonder if like births have gone up marriages have gone up like (laughs) you know i don't know I mean, I did interview a gynecologist who said, yeah, the baby making has been happening. Yeah. She's busy. I would believe it. What else is there to do? (laughs) I would believe it. Yeah. But I mean, you also have like, I mean, like you have, so all these podcasts, I mean, my podcast was started during a pandemic. But you have all these podcasts get started during the pandemic. You have, you know. And some have ended or some have shifted focus as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, mine shifted focus. And I think creating yeah. a show, though, has to constantly evolve. And that's even like the whole idea behind seasons, right? Like you might have an idea in the beginning and then the guests that come your way and the stories that come your way could change the direction or the vision. So how did yours shift? Yeah, so like my first opener, my fo- my first intro was like my dad when I was little used to sing songs and put my name into them. And so I thought that a lot of people could relate to that. Like parents do that silliness where they put their mm-hmm. kids' names into songs. So I sang a song that my dad used to sing and put my name into as the intro because he's like, Rena, we need – an intro for the show. And I was like, what should it be? I love Rena in the springtime. you know. <laughs> so I sang that. And then the second season, I incorporated more of the family element. So I put my dad into it. I put my kids into it. And, and now it's become more of that. Like I started letting my kids ask some of the guest questions and I use them for transitions. I have even asked them for topic ideas. I interviewed my grandmother, my dad's mom. I interviewed my daughter. I've had my kids, you know, come on to some of the episodes. So I've tried to make it more of a family show. Let me ask you a question. How many episodes have you put out? I 
just released, I think, episode 198. But like I said earlier, you know, I have recorded over 200 episodes and there's probably been around 10 that I haven't aired. Oh, I, I have some that'll never see the light of day. And I have some that, <laughs> right? I have some that'll never see the light of day. And I have some that mostly from technical as technical difficulties. Um, right. But have you ever had an episode that just sticks with you? Oh, so many, so many. There was this one guy that I heard on Clubhouse and he was telling his story and I immediately messaged him. And this was even before you could back channel and DM someone, you know, I connected with him through, I think his Instagram, he was a guard at Guantanamo Bay and he brought his banjo, which I don't even think you're supposed to do. And he started playing music to the prisoners. And he was talking about how music broke down the barriers like, and made the prisoners like more human. I was like, Mm. Oh, I love that. And he sang on my show and his voice was just so beautiful. And then he went from like leaving the service and being a guard because he said like, that wasn't his calling. And he got into the theater program at Yale. And this kid was like from inner city LA. I mean, his story was just so remarkable. I just loved so many elements of that. That's really cool. That's really that one cool. stayed with me, and I still recommend that story to people. His name is Malachi yeah. Beasley. That was one of my yeah. favorite episodes because he has such a beautiful voice, too. I was just like, whoa, mm. it's so unexpected. He like literally grabbed his banjo completely unprompted and sang to me on the fly. It was so amazing. I love that. And then I had another one that was interesting too, where I connected with this chick on LinkedIn. We had a couple shared connections and we got, you know, we were just talking about her work as a writer and, you know, the shared connections that we had. And then all of a sudden she was like, yeah, I totally, totally like got this guy drunk, got knocked up pretty much like did a handstand, you know, when he walked out, you know, convinced him to have a threesome because me and my girlfriend wanted to have a baby and couldn't. I was like, what? She like sperm jacked. That was crazy. Like she used a guy that she Mm. drove horse and buggy with to have Mm. a child. That was an amazing story. I love that. And then I interviewed the baby that came from that too. You interviewed the babe. Wait, so the baby. Her grown son. So I interviewed her son and I interviewed her. And what else was interesting about the son is that he went to Guantanamo and had a completely different experience. He basically did not feel sympathy for the people that were imprisoned. He was like, look, I don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. And we're not going to be friends. So I thought it was interesting that I heard somebody who felt like the music broke down the walls and that he wanted to have a relationship with the prisoners. And like, he felt like they were people too. And then I interviewed somebody who was like, look, I've had a hellish life and I don't give a shit about your hellish life. Hmm. It's interesting, you know. We're all, we're <laughs> that was all an just, interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. We're all just people having an experience. and Yep. You can have the same, you can take two different people, throw them in essentially the same thing, and they're having two totally different reactions. I wonder if hmm. they were even there at the same time. That'd be crazy to find out. That'd be nuts. That That'd be nuts. I tell you, um, so where do you see, um, well, on all these episodes, I I like to ask, um, like is the wrong word, but I always ask, um, so how did you find out about COVID? Ooh, that is a great question. Since you're documenting Mm -hmm. the history of COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) I think honestly, I was working for that influencer that I was talking about and Mm -hmm. she got really sick in January. I remember I was like going to network with this associate producer actually that I used to work with at Springer and she told me that she got sick and she like canceled our like reunion getting together. So I think I might've like found out from her 
um, I think, yeah, it was like one of those two things. And then two, just like, you know, finding out through my kid's school that like, there's this weird virus going on. We're going to like take a couple of weeks off. (laughs) The kids are going to like do remote school. And then that couple of weeks turned into months. Yeah. Yeah, it turned into a, I think a year, maybe. I think 21 people tried to be normal, but, you know. What's interesting, too, is just, like, there's been, like, moments where we felt like we could go back to normal a little bit, but mm-hmm. then yeah. it spikes back up. Like, last year, I was producing an in-person podcast where we were doing a shoot every six weeks, and I was not masking. Oh, I, I remember, um, I remember the moment where I, I like, I went online and bought more masks because I just realized, oh my God, like here, I, I'd been going around without a mask for a year and, you know, I, <laughs> I re- yeah, like a year. And here I am reading stories about my triple vaxxed so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And now we're in the hospital, yada, yada. And I'm like, okay, time for a mask. (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah, my dad has been traveling the entire time because his mother is in Florida and alone. You know, she's a widow. And so even though she has a caretaker, she's lonely. And so he goes there like every couple of weeks and he's done it the entire pandemic. Like he's put on his mask and flown there and... Thank God he hasn't gotten it, but he has been traveling as usual. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess like, so you learned about this from an influencer. What month was that? That was January before the March of 2020. Yeah. When then everyone kind of realized what that crazy flu thing was. Okay. So I've got another question and I know this because I've Lord knows I've Googled it tons of times. I don't even have have to Google it anymore. So the NBA closed up on March 14th, 2020. And that was kind of the big, that was the beginning of people realizing this was a thing. Okay, this was going to be a real deal. Oh, I totally remember that. It's so funny because I was planning a retreat for her where people were going to, you know, spend three days at her house. That was one thing that I did for her was book people to go to her retreats. And she, you know, people had already paid. I think she had like 10 or 12 people that had paid. And she was like debating whether to cancel it or not. I'm like, the NBA is shutting down. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I think it would be worse for your brand to do it. Yeah. I'm like, major events are shutting down. Like, yeah, conferences are shutting down. You've got to shut down. I'm like, how would you feel if you're responsible for someone getting sick and dying? I remember, like, and I, I think I said, well, I know I've said this before, but. I went out to dinner with a buddy of mine and it's like, you know, in the movie of COVID, right? If, there, if this was a movie, this would, this really happened though. We had our, our phones, you know, everybody had their, had a phone here at this restaurant. And the other thing was COVID. I mean, people knew something was up because there weren't as many people out as there would have been normally. Right. But, man, those phones blew up all at the same time in the restaurant. Everybody's phone beeped at the same time. Yeah, that's totally something out of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, like, everybody remembers, like, the last person they got together with before the pandemic, which is kind of back to that 9-11 feeling of, like, everybody knows who they spent 9-11 with. Everybody who was alive. (laughs) Isn't that so interesting? What? That people... Like, that you think remember- about who you spent 9-11 with or what you did that day. And you also think about like yeah. who you spent 
time with right before the world shut down with the pandemic. Like those are very memorable experiences. Well, like, I mean, okay. Like I remember the day I remember the day. Um, so I remember the day that, um, Ford, you know, um, lost all that money during the, um, the 2008 crash when the stock market fell. I remember that day, like not because I'm invested in Ford, but just because that was people, you know, like I had been this journalist and I had ended, I had covered this story before it was called the housing crash. Like before it had a name, I was covering it, you know? And I remember standing literally in the payment office of the power company, right? Because I had an Apple computer and my Apple computer like didn't play well with the power company's website. Just saying, (laughs) you know, (laughs) just saying. So I had to go and, and stand in line with the power company. And, you know, I'll never forget those people. I mean, like all of them just sort of staring up at the television, like, oh my God. You know? Yeah, that's crazy. I will never forget that. Well, this show is definitely making me think about like moments through history that stick out in my mind. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's the name. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that, you know, maybe that's the name of the show. name of the episode moments in history that stick out in our mind i love that actually yeah so let me ask you a question what what do you think the end of covid looks like i honestly don't see an end in sight even though people want to the numbers are extremely high right now even though this latest variant hasn't been too severe Omicron. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's... But I think that well, work culture has changed. Education has changed. Our values have changed. Let me, how do you think our values have changed? Because people now are putting their health first, which in the past people were going to school sick, work sick, you know, Mm. not really thinking about others. Mm. I think that now schools aren't even allowing that to happen. I mean, even to send my two-year-old to school, I have to do two rapid antigen tests. You can't have any symptoms to come to school. Yeah. That's really interesting. And now too, I think... It's an acceptable excuse to not make a phone call, not make a meeting, not make an activity, not make a birthday. I think people are really evaluating what is important as far as how they spend their time. Do I really need to go to the grocery twice this week? Do I really need to go be social with somebody for a coffee? Can that be done online? Do I even need to do it? I think people are really reevaluating their time. And also, like, I mean, you know, I need to call that person. Yeah. I need to text that person. I need to, I need to say, hey, I need to, I mean, you know, Jesus. Yeah, loneliness is definitely on the rise. And, you know, yeah. this is really the first time in my life that I've seen people die from that. From loneliness, that dying yeah, from loneliness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What do you mean? I mean, I had a great aunt who lost her husband and she got put into assisted living and she stopped eating and felt lonely and her will to live drastically declined. Yeah. And she ended up passing away, even though her children took her out of there and got an apartment and came to be with her and tried to feed her. Her loneliness was very strong. Yeah. 
And, you know, I, I've seen what it's done even to my grandmother, you know? Yeah. You need relationships. You need people. You need interaction. Staying in your apartment for two years, not getting out and seeing the sunshine, not being able to go to the pool, not, I mean, it, yeah. it shrinks your brain. It shrinks your motivation. It shrinks your muscles. It shrinks everything. That's true. I mean, you know, we're we're meant to be social. I, think. I don't think that we could honestly live in this world without relationships and be completely alone and do everything ourselves. I really honestly don't know anyone that can do that. I don't either, honestly. I don't either. <laughs> no, Hence no. why we're podcasters uniting. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I don't know. Like it's to me, it's been interesting, like just talking to people like all over the place. And, you know, like I've also been, I guess, the father church. If you can have a mother church while well, I'm the father church of several podcasts, you know, people of how do I do this? What do I do? What's this? How do I whatever? Baba, you know, <laughs> That's great that you've been willing to help people with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, I like it. I like it. One thing that I have reflected on through COVID is what didn't happen that I thought would, and do I even want those things to happen now? Oh, God. Okay. Tell me. Tell me. What What didn't happen that you thought would? Yeah. Like, if you evaluate the people that are currently in your life. And who you thought would be in your life, right? Yeah. That's really important to think about. Right. So some of the people that were in my life pre-pandemic are no longer in my life. Hmm. And like friends and, well, you said your family, but like friends and stuff. Or... And right, too, like I have, I didn't get to see my grandmother for like, a year and a half. I mean, it was crazy. She was the last flight I took. We have now since driven there multiple times, thank goodness. And I, I really do thank God for keeping her alive and, and letting me have that every time I get to see her now is such a blessing. And yeah. and I really thank God for that. Um, but yeah, like you were alluding to, you know, who needs that phone call? What elderly person have you not checked in with and even your own children and even your own yeah. relationships that are close to you. Like, like you, what can like you do you to enhance those? Another thing that's really interesting to think about too, is like of all the people in this world, like who are you spending the pandemic with? Like I could have never, you know, known 15 years ago that I was going to be spending this pandemic with my husband. I feel lucky that, I'm getting to that. Or he's the one, have... like I got lucky with who I'm spending it with. There are people that are spending the pandemic alone. What's that like? Well, so think about it, right? I mean, think about this. Okay. What we wouldn't have thought what a pan... we wouldn't have envisioned a pandemic. Like, you know, that is really interesting too. Like what led up to us even appreciating a pandemic? I mean, for one, okay. So for one, um, so like I said, like an hour ago, <laughs> okay. Like I did this deep dive on the, the Spanish flu. And so all the books written about the Spanish flu, right? They all said, First of all, in English, there's not a lot of books written about the Spanish flu, like in English. Interesting. Really a lot of book. It was it was a plague that didn't. It was a plague that was hidden. Okay. Um, there's been a dramatic reappraisal historically of how many people died of the Spanish flu by taking uh, uh, death to death records and like doctors marking things down and and things you can't really die of and 
like that. Okay. But so in the book, they would all say, well, you know, people in the 1918, they weren't as technologically savvy as we are, or they aren't, weren't as sophisticated as we are, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, I feel like people back in 1918 might have had a little more they would have been more able to think, okay, yeah, I can get sick from that animal, right? Where we don't necessarily think that. You know? But the part I wonder about is like how many autopsies were done, like how many people were not recorded that actually had it. I mean, were the numbers even correct? Oh, God. I mean, I think... um, and are the numbers correct now? So the the latest reappraisal of the flu was like half a okay. It's the 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 wide the big number like the big far out number is like I think two hundred million people died worldwide from the flu. Yeah, that's a lot. And then three hundred million people died because somebody died of the flu. That's crazy. To think about that's insane. But yeah. that's like the that's the far out number. Like that's the the hey, we gotta fold everybody. If we take all the people who died of the cold, right? Who didn't you can't die of the cold. So if we take all the people that died of a cold, right? If we take all the people that this and that, blah blah blah, you know, yada yada, we come up with this number. Okay. Right. But I mean, I say all the time, like, the oldest person, I said it on the last podcast, I'm going to say it on this one, right? The oldest person who's going to know about the COVID is my two, is the two-year-old that lives down the block from me. Yep. Okay. And what's He's their got, experience watching a ton of YouTube videos because they can't go anywhere? I mean, but you think about, like, what's his life going to... Like these, like your kids, how are they going to look back on this? Like when they're 30, like, how is this going to shape them? I am trying to get them to reflect on it and I am going to get them to reflect on it more. Yeah. My daughter actually wrote a book during the pandemic. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Which is pretty cool. cool. And we uh, published it on Amazon. Hey, people. I tell you what, if you put links in the description, <laughs> tell you what, just saying. She might make another sale. What's really cool about it is that I hired a reading and writing tutor for my two middle children because when they were home for months, I felt like reading and writing was something super important. And they were eight and ten. So hmm. I felt like if they just stayed on top of reading and writing, I would be happy through those months. And so I hired a tutor. I ended up hiring a tutor for like a year. And that tutor really found solace in books. She was bullied as a kid and she wanted to give kids confidence in reading. And so she's also an author and she helps children create books. And so my daughter was really interested in doing that. And so I had her help my daughter create a book. And then I had another friend that got laid off from Red Bull and she was a mompreneur. So I hired her to do the cover art. She's the one that did the cover art for my podcast. And then she did the cover art for my daughter's book. And then my daughter illustrated the inside of the book, which I thought was cute because kids drawings at 10 is still cute. Well, I mean, I got to tell you something. Years ago, I interviewed a man who, um, he was an elderly man then. I I don't know if he's alive now, but he was an elderly man. And when he was a kid, he spent, I forget how many years, but it was years. Like years and years, okay? Uh, In a cave in the Ukraine. 
evading the Nazis. Wow. Okay. He grew up to become a doctor. Okay. Just saying. That's pretty amazing. He grew up to become a a medical doctor. Just saying. (laughs) You know, people are resilient. Yeah, it's so crazy, too. You just never know what time is going to do. Yeah. I'm looking at that. I'll tell you something. I think it's called Scarlet the the Dolphin Who Couldn't Hear Music. Oh, your daughter's book is called Scarlet the Dolphin Who Couldn't Hear Music. I'm going to send you that link. Yeah. Yeah. Scarlet the Singer Who Couldn't Hear Music. Oh, Scarlet the Singer. Okay. Rena, tell me why you started a podcast. I was just talking to another podcaster about this tonight. And for me, it's really about the relationships that I'm creating, the content that I'm putting out there, and the opportunities that come from doing it. It's really not about the numbers. Well, thank you, Rena, for coming on my show and for sharing your history with us. That was so interesting. And as always, folks, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. I'll leave the links below in the description. Um, You guys have a good day, and I'll see you later. Okay, everybody. Bye-bye.